Hi, this is Alex Hicken with the Very Hicken Bros podcast. This is the 10th episode. I still haven't published the 8th episode, but yeah, we're back on schedule. How's your week, Trevor? My week's been uh, steady, I guess you could say. It's been constant and just good, I guess, at work. Not really much to elaborate on yeah my company and work is going well and we're not bidding for projects that we don't have a good relationship (laughs) with the general contractor so the probability of us getting the contract is much higher so it's really good the company is busy and we're lining up projects for the rest of the year it's pretty good start for us so we actually have uh, equal topics this time Trevor does not have double or triple topics of me so (laughs) we'll alternate and uh, yeah I'll start with the first topic Okie dokie. A long time ago, I spoke about this technology where you could put chips and uh, like a computer onto something like a wristband or something and it's self-healing. Mm-hmm. It's different from just having a strap on like a device. The device itself is like a cloth. It could move. I was thinking because this topic that I'm going to talk about is very similar, but not at the same time. It's expanding on the technology I think the technology is developed at the University of Colorado in Boulder Hmm. I remember saying something like that before it seems like they're pretty innovative but uh, they've developed some modular they, they relate them to Legos, so you could kind of connect them together. And what happens is that this device has thermoelectric generators. So when this technology is applied into uh, new technologies. Mm-hmm. They have these chips. They're about uh, centimeter by centimeter. Maybe bigger, probably a little bigger. But each centimeter square of this uh, technology can generate uh, 
one volt of electricity based on the heat of your body. The technology that one volt is slightly less than what the current technology uses, but you could just connect another chip together and then I'll develop enough uh, voltage. So this technology is shooting to reduce or eliminate batteries in future technologies. And I think that's really awesome because I'm not really a believer of batteries. I think it's damaging the earth a lot. That's the main reason why I like uh, hydrogen technology. I don't really like this current wave of making electric vehicles dependent on batteries. So this technology, I remember talking about uh, how I would have made a like a technology where I could wear whatever technology I want but now this technology has the ability to generate power for itself based on heat. Mm -hmm. I was looking through this and yeah the technology is self-healing like I said before and they expect to have it appear in the market within or at least by the end of the decade so that's exciting I like wearable technology and uh, it'd be nice if they don't need to be charged and it's nice to see that wearable technology is not just a fad that's kind of going to disappear. They're still developing it. We did have a, another plan for this podcast, so I haven't been able to go too deep into these topics. <laughs> I'm kind of going not very deep into it. We, Trevor has a friend that he's known for many years. He's been in the tech industry for a long time. I haven't met him, so I was going to interview him. And he might be a contributor. Mm-hmm. Like Nick, um, being regular contributor. But uh, his schedule, his work schedule is maybe hard to work with. Um he was called in early to work today, so we couldn't uh, record today. Yeah. That's all right. We can do it next week. Yeah, I wonder how steady his schedule is like. Mm. It seems like it's not super st- steady <laughs> if he was called in early. I don't know. My topic is quick and uh, wearable as well from uh, Carl Pay's new startup. If we have, if you uh, listened to last podcast, we have a announcement. He had uh, fifteen million dollars um, 
of funding for his startups, um, Series A venture, and he his company Nothing's first product coming out is uh, part of a smart ecosystem he's starting to build. So he wants to do simpler devices. So his first device for the Nothing company is the wireless earbud. I'm assuming it's going to be a true wireless earbud because I feel like that's more like nothing than having a wire. And I think it'd be a a good good product to start out with. I would. I'd probably invest and buy one of them. It seems like there is improvement that could be worked on in these products, mainly AirPods dominate, and maybe if you're a Samsung user, you get the Galaxy Buds Pro. But uh, I'm using right now my Pixel Buds. They work fine. I do feel like sometimes they cut out randomly in one year and then it comes back like a few seconds later so maybe connectivity would be uh something he improves on and yeah this market is so competitive i don't know how much more he could contribute i think like he said he wants his products to be simple and have a meaningful impact on the market so Maybe if he, I don't know, makes something a lot different, not just a run-of-the-mill AirPods look-alike or some oval thing you stick into your ear. Maybe he can actually uh, gain some market. Probably the hardest part would be (laughs) marketing nothing at all, so... (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what he chose to do. Yeah. It's my first topic. I think Alex has a little topic after. I don't know if it's little, actually. It might be a big topic. Yeah, this next topic is pretty simple also. I don't know if you remember this company named uh, Aurora. They... Our autonomous car company. They actually bought the all the self-driving uh, <laughs> uh, technology and the, their segment from uh, Uber. And Toyota announced uh, that they're planning to make a ride-hailing business, kind of like Uber, but they're not going to employ people. They're going to be just self-driving. <laughs> hmm. Toyota is uh, partnering with two companies. Toyota is going to be uh, providing <laughs> the cars, surprisingly. <laughs> Unlike GM, they don't provide the cars for their partnerships. <laughs> <laughs> Last time I talked about GM partnering with uh, 
is a 1H2 and uh, what's that other company? I forgot, but I was surprised that JM wasn't uh, providing the cars. But Toyota will be providing the car in this partnership. And the second company is Denso. <laughs> they will be manufacturing the components to make the cars self-driving. And Aurora will implement the technology to help the cars uh, be self-driving. They're planning to be testing the cars by the end of the year. And... Uh, yeah in a few years they hope to have this uh, ride hailing network uh, working mm-hmm. aurora is ran by this guy he his name is chris ermson he is one of the early leaders of waymo way back in the day so yeah this company is kind of way i don't know I can't. Really, I don't know if I can say way behind, but the development of the hardware and all that stuff is way behind on the many other companies that I talk about. Uh, they're just they haven't even started testing, or they don't have the hardware. They might have some hardware developed. They have Uber's technology, so they might have technology to produce, but it seems like they're still developing how to do all that yeah yeah uh, toyota just announced this uh, on tuesday this last week oh this week yeah this week that's cool yeah i feel like self-driving is uh, in a good position now to start uh what is it called driving i guess to start driving because the pandemic is still going on and people probably don't want to worry about that i don't know if these are fully automotive but yeah it'd be nice i I thought it was funny how uh i was listening to a a, was it a podcast or a youtuber but he said, like, oh, maybe the future when we have uh, <laughs> automotive cars, uh, what we'd do instead of driving would be <laughs> playing our video games and our ways to places. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about talking about this other article about the, they called it Super Cruise by Cadillac. The person or the writer, the journalist, <laughs> He said that he only had to touch the wheel like three times on a trip, like a almost three hundred mile trip. <laughs> because yeah, on the on, on the way back, he only had to touch the wheel one extra time because the semi truck guy was drifting into his lane. <laughs> so this technology is uh, finalizing their development to start. Uh, deploying it into the public hmm the next brand I'm talking about is uh, the old startup companies <laughs> the new startup company's old CEO but uh, he's moved on but uh, he this is uh, OnePlus's 
market share report from last year in 2020. The article from Pocket Now says OnePlus was the only brand to grow in the U.S. market in a pandemic hit 2020. And it says this is based on the YOY basis. I'm not sure what that uh, constitutes or what makes that. But it's from a counterpoint research report. Compared to everyone else in 2020 whose smartphone OEM had increased in prices, such as uh, Apple, Samsung, perhaps even Google, to add in 5G uh, support for the new bands and faster speeds. OnePlus actually didn't have to since they had a really... I mean, they maybe added a, a few dollars into their OnePlus 8 Pros, but since they've opened their um, mid-range phones uh, a little bit with the Nord line, it's not like they had to add a bunch into that to increase prices or anything. So everyone outs in 2019 to 2020 went down. Cool pad, a slightly, <laughs> they're like a very low end budget phone brand. They went down 80%. Google went down 66% of the market. Oh, growth, sell through growth. Huh. And Motorola's down 57%. Alcatel is another lower end phone company. They went down 25%. And then LG 19. Samsung 5 and Apple 3%. I think I told Alex in a different time when I called that OnePlus went up 133 63% compared to these guys. And I think this is only in the US. Are you saying that this is the growth compared to last year? That their growth is up 160%. So so the chart the chart is named US smartphone OEM sell through growth comma twenty nineteen hyphen twenty twenty. Are they saying that the growth is down by sixty percent or twenty percent? Because market share and growth is different. <laughs> uh, well it says sell through growth. I'm not sure what sell through implies. I mean, it means that they've sold more than the other ones had, right? I think it's talking about the growth. Like, the market share of the pixels were growing at a certain rate last year, but now that rate is down by 60%. So, maybe the growth is 40% if it was last year. Um, all these companies, maybe since they grew last year, twenty eighteen to twenty nineteen, grew exponentially compared to everyone else. Maybe since this year over, they um, couldn't achieve the growth they mm. did the last year before that, and maybe OnePlus just blew them all out of the water. <laughs> Yeah, 163, I I guess it's a hard uh, chart to um, 
understand. But it seems like because of T-Mobile, um, mm-hmm. selling OnePlus has helped a lot through the carrier channels. So yeah, it seems like uh, this is talking about a channel presence and overall size growth. Yeah, so this next year we have probably early this in the next couple months we we'll probably see announcements for the OnePlus 9 line which includes a 9, a Pro and there's rumors of a Lite. And I'm uh, kind of excited for those. There's been camera leaks that are potentially uh, upgrades from the OnePlus 8 Pro line which would be nice. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, and I think they're supposed to release even more Nord products this year, so mm. that'd be good. What do you think of OnePlus without uh, Carl Pay? It depends on this year. He probably set up last year before he left, so if this year is his not as much of a update as we got from them last year, then it probably won't. I mean, they probably keep doing what they do. They usually upgrade their specs and sell more of their OnePlus flagships, or they used to be called killers, flagship killers. So it, it depends. If they listen to the community, which they they might not, because the community, obviously, they don't want to just have OnePlus be a mid-range phone brand or just another copy of mm-hmm. Oppo, like, rebrands. And they also don't want to be buying these phones the same price as an uh, Apple phone. But they also expect to have the same or near to same specs to them. So they also have a big uh, like uh, cutting edge audience. They like to be in the newest and greatest. So they do have like a good uh, software experience and they tend to update quite often so it depends hopefully their hardware is up up to what they uh, are expected to have yeah it seems like you're afraid that they're not going to be as innovative they might put out phones like LG that cost a lot but aren't don't don't perform as well as other competitive companies. Um, I'm more afraid that they're kind of more selling out. I'd say instead of focusing on the core audience, they. I mean, it's not bad that they're branching out to mid range, but the mid ranges are not like spectacular. They're not like great. The only ones that were super good were like the original Nord which never came to the U.S. And then they now are releasing the N1. Or the N10 came out and the N100, which were just... I mean, they're good. You can get 5G in it, but you don't get, like, a 
great hardware. You don't get the uh, good camera or features that you expect to have a OnePlus. It's more like a, you could say, oh, it's like a LG, but rebranded or something. It's not like they put in and they they cut out the right some of the right things, but sometimes they have to cut even more out than what you'd expect from a OnePlus just to get down to price that they want to sell it at. So I'm expect I, I hope that they continue to have that OnePlus flagship line to be good. I mean, it, it's fine if they want to branch out to the mid range, but like don't lose focus on your original like backers, the people that originally like sustained you in the beginning. Yeah, do you know uh any of the leaders in the company that could still keep uh, Carl Pay's vision or are they all kind of gone? Um, let's see. The OnePlus leaders I know there are two, Carl Pay and the other one was um Pete Lau. He's an entrepreneur. He's not very he's more of a like a I I wouldn't say he's a a visionary guy. He's more of a I don't know. He still has a a good like view on what OnePlus should be, but I don't know if he has a like a good vision of what OnePlus should go towards to innovate. I don't like. Yeah, he's gonna get into new markets, go into India, um, maybe expand North America, and he's probably better at uh, connections and stuff. But I feel like Carl Pei was more of the person that kept the OnePlus vision in check, and we'll see if uh, maybe they have someone else that's helping. Pete Lau continue in innovating. Is Pete Lau still with OnePlus? Yeah. He's a co-founder. He, him with uh, Carl, Carl Pei were the ones that I thought the CEO of it. Oppo was kind of taking over OnePlus. CEO of Oppo? Um, I mean, I don't think they have Oppo controlling like the entire thing of OnePlus but um, they are I think basically what happened is they're like under Oppo as like a like a parent company now so it's kind of like Alphabet has their mother father ship over Google and the other sub brands. You still have CEO, you still have people working. You can't just have one giant CEO for twenty different companies or how many there is in this. (laughs) 
Yeah, Oppo is working closely with China. I think that's what you're getting confused with. Yeah, I don't know who's the new CEO. New CEO of Pete Lau is still CEO. He's still working at OnePlus. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, my next topic is about a company hanging in there trying to grow some um grow their business <laughs> they are they don't have the momentum as OnePlus but <laughs> the company i'm talking about is BlackBerry BlackBerry has this software called QNX and this QNX technology has been implemented in almost uh, a fifth of a billion cars Mm -hmm. this technology is used to protect data communications within the car so that the car won't get hacked or something like that I oftentimes talk about the partnership between Hyundai and Aptiv called Motional, and BlackBerry is kind of joining that uh, um, joint venture. They're not joining, they're just the, the QNX software is going to be implemented in their autonomous vehicle technologies and this is the first self-driving car company to implement QNX in their technology so yeah it's good to see BlackBerry coming back into the market and finding some products that'll fit in the need yeah QNX and uh, BlackBerry and QNX uh, they were known to be like one of the more secure I guess smarter phones I guess they got into smartphones but I mean they weren't they didn't really succeed in that uh, transition from uh, keyboard based uh phones to <laughs> all touch screen phones. Yeah. Seems like they're still sticking to the physical keyboard. <laughs> they did uh I have uh read somewhere that they are coming out with a new uh smartphone that has a, a keyboard, their signature keyboard they had uh back in the day. They're probably gonna have a kind of phone smartphone with that in it i wonder if it'd be like a uh yeah like the old uh method they think they're trying where they'd hide the keyboard or if it's just be like a candy bar with <laughs> yeah keyboard i think and bottom it, they're gonna be able to hide it and i think i saw that they're gonna upgrade the hardware to actually be good hopefully it's designed well they're saying that it's going to have actually good camera. Yes, yeah, so things are looking up for BlackBerry. Hopefully uh, they succeed in this 
coming year. Uh, I don't know if uh, their phones can make a comeback. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, LG can make a comeback. They have a um, new patent with a rollable. I'm always interested in rollables or in my eyes they're better than foldables because they um, eliminate the crease that could be inside the middle of a folding phone so this patent is coming out of the China National Intellectual Property Administration or the CNIPA and this has been a rumored LG they teased slightly uh, earlier this year, January 11th, there's a little video. It looks like the phone mm-hmm. maximizes at around 8 inches, and then when it's rolled in, it's around like 6 or uh, maybe a little less than 7. <laughs> but um, it looks... So the, the patent shows it's more like a motorized uh, rolling mechanism instead of a manual scroll out they also show a few more photos of an angle on the side how it would motorize out it looks like a standard tablet when it's rolled out but um, it shows on the flip side that um, there is a screen of some sort so a back facing screen with uh, the triple camera layout, one of them uh, is assumed to be a ultra-wide angle. Yeah, this is not the first time. Well, there's also in the patent, they don't, it suggests that there's no kind of volume or, or power button. So that's interesting. Um, the Mate 40 Pro from Huawei did that. They were first to do that. So I'm I'm curious in how powering it on would start. Maybe just <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's a way to trigger it to turn on somehow. Maybe you lift it up or something. Maybe you uh, roll it open to open. That seems to be like the only thing that you could do to push on something. <laughs> yeah, the display might be a water fall display but you can't tell I mean it might be make makes sense if it is because if you're rolling a screen down it'd probably be easier to hide a edge of it if it's a waterfall style display instead of a flat screen but in this pattern it shows uh, the buzzles are relatively uh, pretty non-existent on the front side and in the back with that screen by the um, triple camera setup looks pretty slim as well. <sighs> but this is still in question because you don't know if they <laughs> are still going through with this because they might exit the smartphone market it partially. I'm hoping they can at least come out with a rollable and not buy that. Yeah, <laughs> get their last phone. I wonder if when yeah. you roll it out, if the pixel density decreases because it's kind of stre- stretching the screen. 
No, the screen's not stretching. It's uh, just being hid underneath the the other. Hmm. Yeah, it's being it's being rolled out from where it was before. The screen density should be uh, the same. It's just the um, aspect ratio is increasing. So instead of being like a, uh, I don't know, 6.7 by whatever width it is, it would be like 8 tall, 8 inches tall instead of 4 or something, whatever the width is. That's interesting. Yeah, I... In the videos, you can't really see how it. Yeah. It's rolling out. I thought it was stretching. <laughs> yeah, and the article just shows like the motorized screen coming down while the video is ending. Sounds good. So it's it's just a tease. I don't think it's a real phone that they have in hand. Is it? It's more of a concept they're developing for this year. Yeah, I I just want LG to survive. I don't want them to. I mean, they were they did so well in the early years of smartphones, and now they kind of are failing. Yeah, how many phones did they release last year? It seems like they had a good mix. Last year they had the Velvet. They had the Velvet, which is a higher and mid range. Did they come out with a V60? I don't think they did. They might have. They came out... The Wing The wing came out last year, I think. Maybe that came out early this year, but... Within the last year. And... I think, oh, they had... Yeah, I think the V60 was the last one they released with the second screen attachment. I mean, it was a good phone. Nothing remarkable it's like any other phone but slightly uh slightly less appealing but yeah you reviewed that one 5g phone before that was kind of a mid-range yeah the velvet no it was a, in a different phone oh the one that was coming out it's like a low-end it's like around three to four hundred dollars, and mm-hmm. that was yeah. It's it's good. I like I I was what I mean is good for a flagship. But <laughs> they had good like market uh, development, and I don't know how much they sold, but I mean it seems like the phones they have would be good the way they're selling it, uh, the way they're like creating them. I don't know if that phone ever did mm. it ever come to the US. Hopefully it did. My last topic is a similar topic to last time transitioning to Trevor's uh, astrophysics topic. Last week I talked about Infinum being uh, funded by Amazon and how they could kind of make some enhancements to hydrogen fuel to make it applicable in normal cars. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
But uh, this is also energy related. I was talking to my coworker and he said that Utah was going to make these smaller nuclear power plants. The technology is more modular. You don't have to make the big gigantic nuclear plant. So yeah. these nuclear plants could be smaller and you could make it the size of it variable based on however many modules you want. Yeah, it'd be awesome. And the company is actually approved of the national organization. The company's called NuScale. It's only going to produce about 300 megawatts of power. It's not even a third of what the previous capacities of nuclear power plants are. And it's going to be built hopefully within 10 years. That's cool. I'd rather have many nuclear plants and some kind of major fallout. Probably be easier to contain these many nuclear reactors than a huge one like that's three times or more bigger. (laughs) For decades, nuclear energy has kind of been on a standstill in development because they have this large hourglass shape for cooling towers and uh, it could cause overheating and stuff. But there's... Talking about like the smoke, the big smokestack thing at the top? No, there's no smoke that's produced from nuclear powers. What happens is that they have... Uh, I don't know what the reaction is called, but they use the heat developed from the chemical reactions and on the radiation. They use the radiation to heat up water, and when it steams, like I explained last time, when the steam goes through the generator, it causes the area of the coil of wire to spin and that causes the area within the coil to be variable and that change in area causes the electrons to flow. That's basically what it's doing. There's a little part here that says these reactors could also turn water to hydrogen for fuel. That'd be cool also. Okay. <laughs> the astrophysics I have talking about is about a um, spacecraft that has been sent out uh, 44 years ago, the Voyager 2. Its original mission was to visit the outer planets past uh, Saturn, going to Uranus, Neptune, and Eventually, it should go to interstellar space. We have the connection to communicate with it through one antenna. (laughs) This one antenna is in Australia, in Canberra. It's called the NSS-43. 
Uh, it's part of the Deep Space Network or the DNS and uh, operates along with other stations in California and, and Spain. So they all t- keep in touch with the other robotic s- spacecrafts exploring around the solar system. The Voyager 2 is actually a twin of the Voyager 1. It's not a sequel or a succeeder. <laughs> and the Voyager 2 takes about 35 hours for a round-trip communication. So 17 hours there and back, 35 minutes out of each. Yeah, the dish that is the antenna's uh, communication uh, with this probe is 70 meters and needs repairs often to continue any kind of communication with it. So the yearly upgrade was due last year, but since the pandemic hit, the usual 30 experts would that would be sent to overhaul it was reduced to four due to uh, any restrictions that COVID added to. So they had three teams of four. They said there was always a backup team in case anyone got sick. So you could always put teams in isolation. And the other team can come in and cover for them. This also ensured social distancing. Yeah, so the Voyager is able to call home. But the only way we would know if it's calling home is we can send out a message to the spacecraft. And the device on the board has a command it's something like a dead man switch is used to help the spacecraft determine whether it's lost connection with the earth or if it or if it should like protect itself because the goal now mainly is to send back space data not really for super data the most it, it's lost a lot of energy so they did the upgrade. The, the Susan Dahl, the Voyager mission project manager and the director there, uh, he said, oh, the DNS folks in Canberra did a remarkable job under the pandemic to upgrade DD- DSS-43. He says, we've got 100% confidence in that antenna that it would operate just fine for a few more decades, long past when the Voyagers are done. Wow. Yeah, so... Both Voyager 1 and 2 have um, th- held the ro- record for the farthest spacecraft has ever traveled for the longest operating mission. Voyager 2 had more hiccups, but is making discoveries around. Um, uh, there was this stat I thought was interesting. <laughs> it says uh, it's 12 billion miles away to this a trailblazer this robot (laughs) so it's crazy how this one antenna can send a message 12 billion miles away to this spacecraft like I I said it takes 17 hours (laughs) to get there but I mean it gets there 17 hours is not bad it's for 2 (laughs) billion you say 12 billion miles away (laughs) it's like a slow they all but actually slow. 
I I'm not I wouldn't complain with seventeen hour <laughs> if I was billions of miles away. <laughs> that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, so they had to modify its uh functionality to keep the energy levels down. They say Ms. Dawn and her colleague, colleagues are preparing to switch off one of its scientific sensors, the low-energy charged particle instrument. This, it says this will ensure the spacecraft's limited power supply and it will keep its systems, particularly its communications antenna, warm enough to function. So their goal now is longevity. They still want as much say, science data returning as much, but they they don't want it to like die. So they limit the capacities of what it can do. It says the team estimates that the spacecraft can operate four to eight more years, and three more of three years of flying time. Oh, the NASA last year granted the team three more flying time. Hmm. Yeah, so it's that's pretty cool. I didn't even know Voyager Two was that old. It's like you could be a grandfather and know it's been sent out at the same time. So it's gonna cease to do operations in a few years. Um, it depends how long it survives. It says that they can operate for another eight to four to eight years. Hmm. But by the time it's done, we should probably will have other a more advanced sp- spacecraft ready to probe and sent out. <laughs> so it'll be kind of it's gonna like run out of fuel or energy or something and just be drifting out there. I think the the worry is not fuel because once you have momentum, it keeps going. It's not. Uh, any kind of resistance uh, much in space. I think they're worried that the energy consumption might not allow any communication back, so it'd just be a lone robot doing nothing out there. <laughs> so that's why they started to switch off some of its instruments to keep it ongoing. Hmm. So the energy, it's is it, do you think it is it producing energy? It might be like a car where it can recharge itself, but the battery will probably eventually die without uh, some kind of way to add more into it. Because, like you said, maybe a fuel does uh, keep it. Maybe there's some kind of fuel on there that can charge its. Uh, energy slightly hmm. I don't know I don't know too much about how it's being maintained but they use it mainly to um, kind of be like a second uh, testimony basically something to match data up with with their ground based te- te- telescopes and other space based ones so it's like a uh, balance check and balance so that you're not just going off, oh, this telescope says it's way over here, it's a star or something, I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
did the article you read say any recent data or uh, discovery that it received from the spacecraft? It's mainly like data. I don't think there's really like discoveries because it's saying it's coming from what they used to do as a planetary mission, went down to a helio physics mission and now practically just being an astrophysics mission so it's kind of downgrading as the energy is <laughs> depleting it has to change its uh, functionality <laughs> before they were using it to uh, study the outer planets but I think if they did that they would probably lost communication by now if they wanted to continue doing that <laughs> that's interesting yeah i thought it was cool that the there's one tel- this one antenna can send this message out to basically its sole purpose is to talk to uh the voyager too <laughs> <laughs> that's cool i mean maybe it talks to other robots but the voyager 2 can only receive communication from that one antenna in the whole world Yeah, that's my uh, last topic. So, um, thanks for listening. Do you have anything to add, Alex? No. I hope to have both episodes out tomorrow. Nice. Uh, Yeah. I'll talk to you later. Later. Bye.